And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Manriper, Eno Saris here with you. It is Wednesday, September 8th. It is Hall of Fame Induction Day in Cooperstown. Of course, that's not normally on a Wednesday, but Derek Jeter, Larry Walker being inducted today. Uh, so we're going to talk about some active players who we think could be headed for the Hall of Fame. There are a few shoe-ins, but there's some really fun cases kind of in the middle. There's some younger players who've put together an early career body of work that puts them on the sort of track you need to be on early in your career to have a chance to one day be a Hall of Famer. So we'll talk about them as well. We're going to dig into some of the new-ish pitchers in the pool. And a lot of questions came in on Twitter about different guys that have been debuting in recent weeks. We'll try to break them down and get a sense for whether there's any short-term or long-term value to be had there. Uh, And we had a question come in about... Uh, what is on Eno's Fangraphs dashboard? So we're going to go inside the mind of Eno Saris. We're going to see how Eno works from the inside. Terrifying, I know, but uh, hopefully some entertaining uh, things we'll learn about how Eno likes to look at the information on Fangraphs when he pulls up player pages and leaderboards. So we begin with the Hall of Fame conversation. The Hall of Fame conversation, if you're talking about current players, Eno, it's like... Well, there's Mike Trout. He's a Hall of Famer already. and He could be done playing today and would get into the Hall of Fame in a few years. And we'd say, all right, Mike Trout's a Hall of Famer. No no argument there. Obviously, we're going to see him probably producing for another 10 plus years and piling up more and more war. And it'll be probably a more of a debate of how does he stack up to the best Hall of Famers? Is he the best player of all time? That is still, I think, on the table for him, health permitting. But rather than digging into how great Mike Trout is, figuring out where the lines are within these other groups. Like, I think there's kind of a, a somewhat obvious late-stage career type here. Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, right? I mean, two of the most feared hitters of the last 20 years. They are going to the Hall of Fame. Even though if you just started really getting into baseball in the last couple of years, it's harder to appreciate them in their current form. They are absolutely going to be Hall of Famers. Yeah, yeah. And then there's uh, some guys that are a little bit borderline, um, even at that stage, that just need maybe a couple more years. Uh, the one name that I think of is Buster Posey. Um, I think that the intangibles, uh, the storyline is there um, with the championships. Um, and I think uh, the production on the field has been very close to worthwhile. Uh, you know, last time I looked, was I think a couple of years ago and I said basically he's already a Hall of Famer however there's a big thing most I think almost every Hall of Famer has 2,000 hits and he has 1,480 so uh, that's not super close uh, but I feel like he'll finish off this season uh, you know get to 1,500 will he play three more seasons 
Um, and if he does, uh, you know, will that will that get him the the next 500 hits that he kind of needs to uh, to to get in? I think he will, uh, but there will be an interesting thing there. He already took a full season off in 2020 um, to to be with his twins. Uh, you know, he could uh, he could win like like if they did something improbable and like won this year. Like I could see him just being like. I'm good. Family time. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I could see it. I mean, he's done it before. Uh, but I think he's right there on the bubble. I mean, I, I, I think he's pretty much in, but you can't say he'd be in if he never played another game. Yeah, I think getting a few more years to pile up more production would go a long way toward helping his case. Uh, and Joey Votto, who I think we talked about maybe a week ago, I, he's probably in if we're both casting ballots. Uh, I will not be. I think you will be by the time Votto is there, right? So that changes things uh, quite a bit. I wonder I wonder one thing, though, about Votto. Um, because he's not going to have the benchmark home runs, you know, uh, you know, 323 home runs. He's not going to uh, get to another benchmark, probably maybe uh, 400, but uh, that's not like the 500 club, which is kind of, it's not automatic entry, but, you know, it's pretty close. Um, he's not going to get there on hits, uh, you know, he's not going to get there on the counting stats. He has two, he's 2012 hits. Um, he's not going to get there on those things. So he's going to get there, uh, on his slash line. He'll be like one of the first, I think, to do that where, uh, he gets in on the slash line. His career slash line right now is 302, 417, 519. He has a 300, 400, 500. That's one of the things I actually fell in love with, with baseball at the beginning was Frank Thomas's 300, 400, 500 lines on the back of his card. Um, uh, because I didn't have a concept of, of stats beyond that, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, I think that those are pristine numbers. However, the longer Joey Votto plays, the, the more he attacks that 300, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, he just, he, he has been amazing this year with the best or the second best isolated slugging of his career, uh, you know, at 37 years old, that's great. And it's good for his, his, uh, value. Uh, it's his best WRC plus in, in four or five years. It's good for his team, but, uh, it's not going to come with a 300 average, um, maybe it doesn't mind. Maybe it doesn't matter if he hits, you know, it goes in with like a 298, but I certainly think that having that 300, 400, 500 would be a big deal. If he doesn't have that, maybe he can get in, uh, just on the strength of his OBP. It's one of the best OBPs of all time. Um, and, uh, I still think he deserves it, but it is interesting that not everybody helps their, uh, hall of fame case at the end of their career. Right. Exactly. And I, I think a lot of players, if you look at the leaderboard for, uh, baseball reference has the first base jaws leaders. Jaws is a, a system that Jay Jaffe put together a long time ago to really kind of quantify what hall of famers look like or what they should look like. And I find it very helpful because it, it helps you compare players across eras a little bit easier there's a leaderboard at Baseball Reference. If you sort by OBP, if you just look at first base Jaws leaders, Joey Votto is seventh on that list in terms of OBP. The only player ahead of him with a higher OBP who's not in the Hall of Fame is Ferris Fane. And I had never heard of Ferris Fane until I saw this leaderboard. Um, so you look at guys ahead of him, and Frank Thomas is right there. Todd Helton is one of the few Hall of Famers who also had or non-hall of famers who has a 300 400 500 line and i think everyone's snap reaction as well he played in coors right. at the peak of mlb's substance abuse era so you know, lots of questions there but i think with vado 
I think he's in if I had to make the call. If he said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just done. I'm good. I'm going to go walk the earth for the next 30 years, which... Like like Kane and su- Kung Fu. Would it really surprise you? Like, <laughs> I think he would actually get in because I think the electorate now has a better feel for valuing the type of player that Votto was. If he were on the ballot 15 years ago, I think the same thing that happened to Todd Helton would have happened to Joey Votto for the reasons you mentioned. I wonder what kind of people would have been helped, uh, you know, if they've been uh, if they've been on the ballot years ago rather than now. Uh, kind of think maybe somebody. Maybe you were mentioning CC, yeah, uh, as being somebody like that. Just a ton of wins, um, but uh, not necessarily like the kind of war-related excellence that you might expect from a Hall of Fame. He's pretty. He's pretty borderline. Uh, I mean, he's there in Jaws among some Hall of Famers. He's ahead of Don Sutton, for example. He had uh, a better peak than Don Sutton. Um, But he's a bit of an accumulator like Don Sutton, and I just don't know. Accumulation in a time when you're not uh, not, uh, putting up the war alongside it is an interesting thing. I mean, uh, almost 3,600 innings from him. 3,400 strikeouts, if I'm reading that correctly. Nope, those are hits. I, I think he's a, a narrow miss. <laughs> those are hits. Wait, let me, let me take that back. Uh, yeah, 3,093. I think he, I mean, 3,000 still means a lot in terms of strikeouts. That's going to get That's gonna get him a lot of votes. The other fun leaderboard to pull up, I mean, I started watching baseball as a kid in the early 90s, is to take 1990 through the present day. And just see how all the players you've watched from the entire time you've watched baseball, how they actually stack up to each other. CC Sabathia is 12th in war among pitchers since 1990. So guys ahead of him, I mean, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, Pedro, Mike Mussina's fifth, Schilling Smoltz, Kevin Brown, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, and Andy Pettit. So CC Sabathia, I think, is in the conversation. But if, if you said, guess what the voters are going to do? I think I he's one sure. of those guys that came in just a little bit too late. I think voters five and ten years ago would have been more kind to his profile. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I do think he helped himself by a little bit of that late career resurgence in New York with the cutter. Um, and, you know, I think of that a little bit when I look at Greinke, uh Zach Greinke, because I think Verlander will probably have another season in him of, of pretty excellent, and it'll be excellent by war. Um, Kershaw... I don't know how many more seasons uh, he has, but uh, they'll always be excellent by war. He's very good at you know, striking people out and limiting the walks. That's a big key point of, of war. Greinke, however, the stuff has started to fall off. you know, and it's, and it's fallen off to such a great degree that the strikeouts are falling off. So I wonder, uh, even if he does pitch two or three more seasons, how much war he'll actually add. Uh, I do think at 2,800 strikeouts or 2,799 for Greinke, um, adding a couple more seasons and getting over that 3,000 hump uh, might be all it takes. But when it comes to Jaws, Greinke, Verlander, and Kershaw are the top three uh, active players. And they're basically right at average of the 65 Hall of Fame pitchers. Uh, and Jaws is, is um, Jay Jaffe's system, if we haven't mentioned that yet. So Greinke, Verlander, Kershaw basically in but could all help themselves by getting above that average. 
all in. I think uh, one of the more complicated cases for some might be Robinson Cano, who, if you look at the baseball reference war leaderboards, is sixth among active players. Actually edges out Miggy, edges out Max Scherzer to this point, edges out Joey Votto. But I don't think Cano is getting in. Look how PED cases have been handled so far. Yeah, I mean, he's more Manny than than even Bonds, right? Yeah. Once you, like, if you fail a test once they have tests in place, uh, that seemed to be a line that people have, have drawn. So, yeah, I guess I guess I would, I would guess he's not in. Uh, Scherzer's in for me just to finish off uh, the starting pitchers. Uh, and Sale and DeGrom have a surprising amount of work to do. Uh, yeah, they're, I would, they are yeah, I would. above Hall of Famers already, but they're above uh, Hall of Famers from a different from different eras, basically, and uh, and also at the very bottom. So they would really need to do some uh, like a fair amount of work to to uh, to cement their Hall of Fame cases. Same with Garrett Cole too. I think he's kind of in the same boat as those players right now. Bryce Harper, I think, is tracking toward being a Hall of Famer. I think he's. Oh, now you're talking about sort of a slightly younger guys that have a lot of work to do, but because I think that's you know the work from Salem to Grom could be on the order of two or three seasons. I think Harper kind of has to keep it up for a little while longer, like five, like five more seasons of four to five WAR, and then he can be a, a two to three WAR guy a few times, and oh, it'll and all look really good. The arguments we will have, and the yelling that there will be. There's always yelling. <laughs> that's always yelling yes that's correct but i think it'll it'll remind me a little bit one of the things that has not been super fun today uh has been the sort of Derek jeter rehashing um and i just uh i don't know i think he was a really great player i think the defensive metrics that people are using to judge him are imperfect um uh, he probably wasn't a great defender uh but uh he was definitely a leader and uh, was kind of like the kind of perfect figurehead to have for for the Yankees, where you have you have all this all this media, you have all this media, and all they're trying to do is is elbow their way to the top of the media heap themselves, right? So they're all trying to get scoops, they're all trying to get that quote from you, they're all trying to to break some story with the the guy saying the wrong thing. And Derek Jeter never said the wrong thing. I mean, he never said anything really interesting, but he never said the wrong thing. It's a little bit like Mike Trout. You, you, like in the in the in the present tense, you might look at him and say, "Oh my God, that is a boring interview." It's calculated, man. It's it's Teflon. It's it's uh, it's the guy that every media can go to and get their boilerplate, pe- the, you know, quotes for the piece, and will never hurt the team with what he says. Uh, it's it's brilliant. It's annoying, but it's brilliant. And in terms of his offensive game, really good um, opposite field power, really good contact ability, just a really, really good hitter. Um, and I, you know, was his defense not great? Probably not great, but also we're not gonna, I'm not going to look at UZR and be like, oh, obviously one of the worst defensive shortstops of all time. Mm, maybe, maybe not. You know I mean? Like, maybe, but maybe not, because those metrics are pretty flawed. I mean, Jeter is ninth in position player war since 1990, so I, I don't really have a, a strong argument against him. That's UCR in it, so like, what, what are we even talking about here? 
that's with negative defensive value for his career factored yeah. in. So I I don't I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna scream that he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Not really not really my brand anyway, right. but uh, you know, not really not not today that, too. That will happen with Bryce Harper again. I mean for oh, sure. I'm I'm sure there will be people that don't want to vote for Bryce Harper when the time comes, even if the track record says you should absolutely do it once we get there. Uh, the early career guys, probably the most fun part of this conversation. You could look at Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Ronald Acuna as three guys who I think have laid the groundwork to be Hall of Famers someday. Obviously, a lot of work to be done, but if you had to you know, bet on players in their early 20s who are going to reach Cooperstown 15 plus years from now, they'd be the first three names that I would look to every single time. Yeah, and one of the things that really sticks out for me uh, is all those guys got going early. Um, I think one of the things that happens, uh, you know, with the Hall of Fame is that like you need to be really good and do it for a really long time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, it needs to be. You need to have. Uh, that's why you know Bryce Harper. That's why we're kind of saying it's almost a fait accompli for him because he's he started out so amazing. And uh, and just kept it going. I I've got here. Um, let me see if I can get this right. Rookies uh, that debuted under the age of 22, sorted by their rookie season uh, over the last 10 years. Mike Trout's number one. Uh, managed 10 WAR in his. That wasn't his like real rookie season. You know, it was like his. Still had the eligibility. Yeah, still had the eligibility. Corey Seager. Um, I think the injuries have kind of taken him off that track, but there is still like sort of a, a bump in the road type chance for him. I think Bryce Harper is fourth. Jason Hayward, the the, <laughs> uh, the book has been read. I think on that one, uh, Lindor. You know, it's kind of hard to see it right now in this season, but if he had fantastic uh, longevity like Derek Jeter, I think he could re-enter the conversation late. Um, Acuna's right there. So Acuna, Soto, and Tatis are 9, 10, 11. Uh, Correa, maybe with, with longevity? I don't know. I, it's It seems a little impossible now. I got and one to put Wanda up there Franco's with Harper. Wanda already 19th. <laughs> yeah, see. Season's not even over. Was that the name you are going to say? No, no. I, I think he's he's kind of the next guy. It's like, hmm, well, it, he's only had you know a third of a season, basically, to show us what he can do. But that's the kind of start you would need in your first 60 70 games to say, hey, I'm, I'm probably going to be a, in this conversation someday. I would say Mookie Betts would be a guy that also mm-hmm. belongs firmly in this conversation. I mean, he's uh, been around for so long, but he's only 28, just 29 in October. He's got plenty mm-hmm. of time to continue providing big seasons. And I think one key indicator for me at this stage, because the massive contracts are increasingly rare, a team that gives a player 10 plus years and Mookie Betts got 12 for 365. To me, that's a sign that all the internal indicators are that a player is going to age very well. And I think that gives me extra confidence that Betts will absolutely go on to be a Hall of Fame player. But there's that 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 chaos creator injury. Um, you know, it's just uh it does all sorts of stuff under the hood where you just maybe a lot of Mookie Betts's power outage has just been uh, been this back issue that he's dealing with, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tatis is is saying that he won't get offseason surgery. 
Um, maybe despite what the team wants, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like something will heal itself, but uh, there is that Bob Horner connection where you just, you know, does Tatis stay healthy or does he uh, end up being oft hurt like Bob Horner and we talk of what could have been rather than what was. Um, but yeah, those mega contracts are really interesting because they also seem to be like, let me put our hat on this guy in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the guys, everyone will remember the last 10 years, the ones we paid for. Uh, so that's why you look at the, the, the big contracts. I just don't, uh, Manny Machado's contract was pretty big. I just, I don't think that he's, uh, I don't think he's on that track. Machado could get there, but if you said pick a side, bet yes or no, based on what he's done so far, he'd be one of the best players, not in the hall of fame. He'd be a no for me. I'm going to pick one of the young guys we're talking about. The youngest, the youngest crew. I'm going to pick one. Juan Soto. And it's it's because I think I have so much faith in his approach and the way that he that he takes at bats. The he's very Miguel Cabrera in in that he has opposite field power, he's power to all fields, and he just he loves uh, taking pitches. It's built for longevity. I love Acuna's game, but when we only have a very small sample, we have one season of him having good plate discipline of having above average plate discipline. Um, Tatis and Acuna both share penchant more than Soto for whiffs, which can become a problem. Um, And then Tatis has that, that, uh, that injury asterisk. And so does Acuna, I guess at this point. Um, So Soto's my pick. Yeah. Soto, I think is a really good, smart money, safe bet. Vlad Jr., Starting to put those pieces in place too. I think you could easily see it happening. So I'm I'm really curious, like what the next two to three years look like from him. If he's a a perennial MVP candidate through like 2025, and then he's just really good for a long time, that would probably you know, be enough to get him there too. And like I hate to say, it, but what does the body age like? Right, always a concern. Uh, I think you'd have to think that um, you know Fielder's body failed in different ways, but Prince Fielder seemed like he was on 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 track at some point. Um, then he had a really early ending to his career. But Soto has reached the level where even the projections now spit out numbers for him better than what they spit out for Trout. And <laughs> Trout's been breaking the projections for almost a decade. So to see Soto reaching that level, I so think quickly. He, yeah, he, he deserves to be in there too. I mean, I think the thing I wonder about with Soto, Trout earlier in his career was at least pushing some extra value playing center field, right? There was an extra nudge on a few of his seasons for his center field defense. He's not getting that anymore. He should probably go to a corner. Soto Soto didn't get that to begin with. Soto has been a negative grade defender based on the the ward defensive metrics ever since he walked into the league. So that's always going to drag his war down. And I think that might bring him down relative to other hitters in the Hall of Fame. But Juan Soto could be, of the hitters we're watching right now, other than Trout, and maybe he gets to that level, but more likely than not, he could be the best hitter of all of these players we're talking about. He could be the one that history remembers as the best all-round offensive player from the current group of young players. Then it'll be a little bit um, like Vado, where we won't be talking about his war as much as we'll be talking about his slash line or his OBP as the best of all time. It also makes me think of, you know, Yadier Molina's case. Um, 
there's tends to be a, a, a sense of absolutism when you when people argue about this sort of thing. He's definitely not a Hall of Famer. Definitely is a Hall of Famer. And I remember a lot of people saying that Yadi Molina was definitely not a Hall of Famer. Um, and uh, that was kind of based on stats that didn't have framing in them. I mean, Fangraphs wore to not have framing in them. And then they added framing, and lo and behold, uh, Yadier Molina is a, is a Hall of Famer, or at least a borderline one. Um, and that's before you consider the stuff you can't... I mean, you, there literally are things you can't put in the numbers. <laughs> you know? So it's like, you. I think it's okay to, to consider them. I know I've, uh, sometimes I, I say things that other... Uh, that maybe uh, other stat people would roll their eyes at, but I think it's I think it's fine to consider those. I think Yadier Molina is a borderline Hall of Famer on the numbers, and then all of the secondary considerations in terms of game calling, you know, uh, leadership for that team, uh, how how just decent his teams have always been, how he seems to uh, demand that of people around him, um, and how he's just his longevity itself, and how how that that speaks to his work ethic. So. Um, I would vote for Yadi Merlina when I have a vote. Um, and uh, I think that it also uh, speaks a little bit to this, um, you know, oh, Derek Jeter, he's the worst shortstop of all, you know, worst shortstop of all time by UCR, whatever it is, you're, whatever stat you're, 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 you're yelling at me. Um, well, that's UCR, you know, and we've got, we're getting better at these stats. And are we going to have, there are times we have revisions where we actually go back like the Yadi Molina thing. And we're able to take the new look at stats and take that back to the old stats and kind of uh, clean them up a little bit. We've done that a, a, a couple of times um, and it's changed how we thought of Yadi Molina as an example. Uh, and so, you know, we may have that sort of revelation when it comes to outfield defense or defensive metrics, when it comes to Juan Soto, um, so uh, I tend to kind of gravitate towards the hitting side, uh, but you have to you have to give credit to these kind of secondary concerns like Yadier has, like Buster has, um, and and put those into the package. You know, there's one more player recently active, not playing anymore, but Adrian Beltre. I, I think the more I look at his numbers compared to current hall of famers like i i thought he was a hall of famer anyway but i didn't spend a lot of time at the end of his career stacking up what he had done compared to you know, mike schmidt and eddie matthews and, and wade Look box like, the, the best of the best of the position yeah i mean adrian beltre is an all-time great third baseman like one of the best future hall of famers at the position That's crazy i don't think i i don't think i really appreciated that i've always thought that scott Rowland should be and if you look at the you know the top 10 by war uh by jaws um you know scott Rowland is the miss is the one that's the uh, the person that's not in there you know like he's right between paul molitor and edgar martinez and home run baker like uh you know i guess edgar <laughs> martinez could have went in as a dh you could say that so Maybe you could say Scott Rowland is a borderline case, but it doesn't matter for Adrian Beltre. He's fourth. Yeah. Jaws I mean, has him as the fourth best all, uh, third baseman of all time. It, it, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's wrong either because he's fifth. He's fifth in war. Third baseman is one of the ones that we have the least of, right? So there's 15 Hall of Famers for third base. That does seem low. No, let's go, go to shortstop because I know shortstop is the one that we have most of. Hey, do you ever heard of Home Run Baker before today? Uh, well, the, the name. <laughs> I had heard of the name. I don't know uh, anything about him. Just the name. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. <laughs> Fantastic. There are twenty three shortstops in. Well, 
All right. We didn't cause any fights, hopefully. I'm sure we left somebody off the, the conversation. So, you know, let us know who we forgot because that's right. what the Hall of Fame conversations are all about. But I, I just think we're really at a fun time in baseball history where we have some young players on that trajectory. We have some guys right around their peak who are tracking that way. And we still have some guys, even in their early 30s, who with the right mix of health and sustained great performance could actually find their way into this conversation over the next couple of years. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But let's talk about some of these new-ish pitchers, and I reached out on Twitter just trying to figure out who are people really the most interested in, and there were several pitchers in Texas that came up, which is kind of nice to see. Uh, all guys that have come from various trades that this team has made over the last uh, four years or so, the three names are Glenn Otto, Taylor Hearn, and AJ Alexi. Uh, Otto, they acquired most recently. He was a part of the Joey Gallo trade. And we'll start with him. I mean, I just I think the broader appeal for me with the Rangers pitchers right now is how the park has played. I think you can stream pretty effectively in that ballpark, which was not something you could do at the old ballpark in Arlington. Uh, but is Otto more than a home streamer for you? Do you see anything in the underlying numbers that gives you some hope that he's more than a, a back end sort of starter? He debuted with amazing numbers. I think it was like a 119 pitching plus, but if you kind of poked under the under the, the numbers and kind of looked at stuff versus location, it was mostly location. Uh, he had one pitch that was above average by stuff in his debut. Uh, was the, I think it was a slider, and the rest were uh, average-ish. But he'd like locate located them really well. Now that we got two appearances in there, it looks like the two breaking pitches are, well, the knuckle curve is about average, the slider is average by stuff, is above average by stuff, so that's a that's a good foundation. Uh, the location has remained pretty good in both starts, uh, to very good, um, but uh, overall, a 98.5 uh, stuff reflects the fact that his fastball is below average, and uh, there is a bit of that year-to-year thing where uh, will will he have the same um, command next year? Because uh, stuff is stickier year to year than location. I would think of him as a decent pitcher um, that uh, could uh, could could pop. Uh, so he he kind of reminds me a little bit of um, you know like a JT Brubaker, like a a guy in a good park uh, with a good amount of pitches and good command. Um, and you've seen over the course of this season how Brubaker has been good and also uh, struggled a little bit um, as he's lost some of that command um, 
after the the enforcement, I think a little bit. So, um, you know, I think that uh, he's a good pitcher. I like him. I I don't think that he will be in my top uh, uh, sixty or anything. Uh, but uh, I think he'll make top back in top one hundred. Yeah, it seems like a reasonable place to put him, which makes him rosterable in a lot of mixed leagues. Maybe not a permanent fixture on rosters in 10 and 12 team leagues, but someone you're at least thinking about for the two-start weeks or the occasional uh, home matchups, as I suggested. But as far as the other two go, Hearn and Alexi, do you see anything more in their profiles compared to Otto's? You know, it's funny, too, about Otto, just as an, another note, is that he doesn't necessarily have a reputation for great command. Uh, the fan graphs, uh, a grade on his command was 3540 um, and his walk rates are up and down in the minor leagues. Uh, so that's something you have to you have to throw into the mix when you're looking at this. Um, Hearn, uh, you know, uh, he added a, a sinker or a two-seamer, um, and, uh, and there was like a little bit of a good stretch. Uh, I think that was a little bit of a mirage in terms of, you know, you throw in a new pitch and it has some value just as a change of pace and as a different kind of pitch. Um, than, than you were throwing before. So it's not on the scouting reports and, and teams are like, what's this? And they're a little bit surprised by it. Uh, but in terms of like the actual, uh, uh, the numbers, uh, you know, the stuff numbers, the, the movement numbers, whatever, you know, there it's, it's not that great of a pitch and it's not going to, um, not going to save his career. So I've got, I've got Hearn as a, uh, I would, I would take, uh, I would put Hearn, uh, below, auto um and uh just waiting here for the applet to load i'd put like doing research on the screen on youtube right now but really we're just we're just waiting (laughs) just waiting uh the the we're trying to get this app uh off of the the current servers that it's on and into uh the hands of the people uh, at some point in September, just so you can sort of prove the concept and see what it looks like, and also so it'll move faster than the glacial place. Because one thing that's happening is that it's kind of recalculating uh, stuff on like an hourly basis, <laughs> and so it's just like continually re-updating, and uh, it's not giving me hern. Oh, it's Wednesday, so there's day games, so that's probably part of it too. Yeah. Well, it's it's it should be nightly. Okay, let me. Let me reload. I was afraid this might happen. While you're doing that, I think with AJ Alexi, I think he might be the one of the three that I'm most interested in, but what I'm concerned about in that profile is that he has had issues with walks uh, throughout his time in the minor leagues. And I I don't know if that will go completely away. I, I think the look I had at him for part of Monday, or I didn't think his command stood out to me as bad in that outing. Uh, I didn't get to see all of it, but... It was just one of those things where it's like, well, if I, if I were guessing the command grade, I wouldn't have guessed 30 command based on the bit that I saw. Doesn't mean he doesn't possess 30 command, but he didn't look hopeless to me. So I, I was surprised to see the walk rates were as bad as they were given you know the, the command score and, and what I had seen just in that little bit of a look. But uh, at least two good pitches based on the scouting report, a 60 grade fastball and a 55 curveball with a 60 future grade the patient plus agrees with the 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 shaky command yeah uh, it, it also really, sees the inconsistency yeah really poor location numbers for the slide and the four seam 
And of course that could change, but I'm not seeing enough stuff uh, there. Right now, 93 stuff plus. Uh, the changeup is average and everything else is below average or close to it. Um, I mean, three average pitches with good command, I think you would say could be an average pitcher but uh, or, or slightly above average pitcher, but it's three average pitches with poor command. So I have Alexi uh, comfortably last of the third of the three. So it's Otto Hearn Alexi for me, and with those kind of location numbers, honestly, Alexi's probably headed towards the pen. Interesting though, like the results that he had in the minors are probably a big part of why people were chasing him in Fab the last couple of weeks. He had a sub two ERA at Double A and briefly at Triple A this year. Uh, whips near one at both of those stops. He had a left-on-base percentage at AA at 93.1%, and he was at 98.4% at AAA. So, wow. That's, I, that's really going to skew the numbers. I mean, that's weird, like weirdly high. That's 65 combined innings of like a 95% left-on-base percentage. And it's 70% in the big leagues. That's why he's projected to have a 70 or 70. They, they, they nodded in his direction. He's got a 71.5% left on base percentage in his projections. Um, and it is surprising to see those nice K nines in the minor leagues um, change so much, but there are li- there's a little bit of overratedness uh, because you know, your K nine goes up. If your BB nine goes is, is, is high. That's why K percentage is better than than walk percentage. Um, K, I mean, that's why K percentage is better than K9. Because K9 is actually linked to BB9 because the more innings you have, the more... Is that... Am I saying that right? Why is that? Because it, let's say you... Uh, well, you could be walk, inefficient. You yes, could be inefficient you, and still have a high K per nine. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But strikeout percentage is, is obviously uh, more effective at telling you how good a player is because it's just how many strikeouts out of out of, uh, out of of how many batters you faced. Still some pretty good strikeout rates. So I'm a little surprised at the numbers when I look at the stuff. But I have a feeling that this is just not going to work out that well because uh, in the minor leagues, I think maybe you can get away with command that you can't get away with in the major leagues. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing here. Right. Well, I, I think the good news here is that if the stuff's going to play up in a relief role, there's some high leverage opportunities to be had in the Texas bullpen. So failing as a starter for the Rangers doesn't necessarily mean that Alexi be without fantasy value, even looking ahead to next season. You know, if he fails quickly enough as a starter, they make that move sooner rather than later. Maybe we're talking about him as an, an eighth inning guy or a possible closer in the not so distant future. Uh, one other guy that I thought was really interesting is the new Reynaldo Lopez. I have not seen Lopez with numbers that look like this really ever. I was comparing his 2020 stuff plus and location plus to what we're seeing in 2021. He's up 10 points in stuff plus. He's at 103.8 right now. Location has improved as well. He's above average there now. The CSW has ticked up a little bit, so your called strikes and whiffs look a little better. I'm surprised it's not actually up more relative to the increase in stuff, but I think what we're seeing from Ronaldo Lopez might be real, you know, and I know one thing that changed for him is that he had LASIK. And I think we always think of LASIK as the sort of thing that helps a hitter more than it helps a pitcher. But I imagine seeing your target still helps you quite a bit as a pitcher. Yeah. And I think one of the big things for him has just been uh, simplifying the arsenal. You know, Uh, he kind of has gone to fastball slider. Um, And I think that's, it's going to be a big part of why he's better. It's just, uh, you know, he. I think he commands the slider best out of his 
uh, out of his secondary pitches. Um, the location plus on a slider is the best out of his three. Um, it's the best by stuff plus. Um, and he's just simplified the arsenal. The curveball has never ranked really well by any metric. Um, and uh, maybe the changeup, uh, you know, he, it says here that he has above average location uh, strategy on the changeup. Um, but fastball sliders will be working for him. He just may be, you know what he might be? He might be one of these four-inning type pitchers. If they want to throw an opener in front of him, I'm all here for it. I mean, it's just... What wasn't working before was that he didn't have great fastball command. He didn't have a secondary pitch he can command. Now with the slider, he has that. that. But if he starts mixing the changeup in, maybe the command starts falling apart again. So I think if if I look at a pitcher like this who's pitching for me and he can give me three or four innings with this approach, then I'm into it. Yeah, it just it may not lead to a lot of fantasy value. Well, he's going to be important for the White Sox with all the injuries they've piled up in the back of that rotation over the last couple of weeks. I think that description, though, that four inning sort of thing, probably applies to Adbert Alzale as a, a floor. I think there's still room for him to be better. Uh, he came up as kind of a, a postscript in a tweet from our, our friend John over at MLB Moving Averages on Twitter. John put four names together, one of them Glenn Otto, who we just talked about, against Bailey Ober, Carlos Hernandez, and Vladimir Gutierrez. Now, I think with the other three guys here, other than Otto, we've had a little bit more of an extended look at those guys over the course of the second half. So how does Otto kind of stack up for you compared to the likes of Ober and Hernandez and Gutierrez? Um, yeah, Ober is, a, uh, is an extreme command play. Makes me a little bit uncomfortable year to year because we've talked about the stickiness of of stuff versus command. Stuff is stickier year to year than command. Um, and if you look at Bailey's uh, Bailey Ober's uh, his pitches, he has one pitch that's above average by stuff. That's curveball, and then four pitches that are above average by location. Um, the nice thing is that he doesn't have any pitch that's just terrible. You know, all of his pitches like ninety six on the changeup. Uh, 90 on the slider, 89 on the fastball. So he has four representative pitches. It's a little bit uh, Roarchian. A taller Tanner Roark? Maybe. Um, it's definitely in that sort of uh, Ryu, you know, if Ryu is the, the champion of all guys that doesn't have a lot of stuff but has command of a lot of different pitches and has at least one out pitch, he's in that corner of the pitching world. Um, but I feel like that can just come and go. Um, so, uh, what were the other names? So we got Ober, Carlos Hernandez and Vladimir Gutierrez. Yeah. Uh, so Carlos Hernandez is like the opposite of Ober, right? Yeah. More stuff. Yeah. So more stuff. Uh, and then, uh, Gutierrez is kind of, uh, in between, the, the one thing I will say is that uh, boring, like sort of boring in betweenness, I think is less appealing to me. <laughs> you know? uh, at least with Ober and Hernandez, I can be like, uh, ah, Ober has elite command and hopefully has enough stuff to make it work. Ah, Carlos Hernandez has elite stuff, uh, near elite, good stuff. And hopefully his command will improve because he has this backstory of, of not having that many innings in the minor leagues. Um Vladimir Gutierrez is, is just okay on both fronts. He has a good slider, good curveball. 
the change up and four seam are a little bit below average. The locations is, is basically average, a little bit below average. I think he's an average pitcher. And for what it's worth, he's an average pitcher in a really terrible park. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to order these guys, Carlos Hernandez, uh, because stuff uh, is stickier year to year. And then I'm going to take Bailey Ober over Vladimir Gutierrez because he has that one elite skill to fall back on. Yeah, I think the Hernandez, Ober, Otto, Gutierrez order is the way I'd go. And I think Ober versus Otto in the middle is probably maybe the closest of any of the possible they're debates very sim- in there. They're kind of similar. They have an out pitch. They have uh, you know three other decent pitches. And they have really good command. Except Otto does not have good command grades from the scouting community. And his minor league numbers don't show the same command. So that's why Ober is ahead of Otto for me. All right, we've got another rankings question. This one comes from Simon, really looking more for just some general advice here. But what's wrong with Ryan Weathers? You know, he came up and was getting good results right away. I think you looked at some of the underlying numbers at the time and said, this probably isn't going to last. And I think he's kind of crashed even harder than we would have expected, which is a bit bizarre. I know he's dealt with a minor injury this year, so there's there's that kind of lingering in the background how much of this is just Ryan Weathers needing to find a third pitch if they're going to keep using him as a starter? Well, it just, to me, it's uh, bad fastballs. It's uh, it's uh, fastball shape. I, I, I don't think that they um, really did a good job of it. I mean, um, his if you look at his baseball savant page, you can kind of see it without you know needing to look at a stuff page. His vertical movement uh, versus average is all deep blue. Um, he has a little bit of wiggle on his four seam, which is not ideal. You don't necessarily want wiggle on your four seam. So uh, you're looking at a sinker with less drop than you'd want. In fact, his sinker and his four seam have the same amount of drop. It just uh, you know, there's nothing, nothing that I can say. This this is nice. He's doing a good. Thing. This is this is what you want it to look like. Um, so I I think if I were them, I would. Uh, go heavy into the sinker and try to find a way to get more drop on that sinker, you know, to, to throw and, and, you know, sinker, sinker, change up slider. Like, you know, I know Logan Webb is a righty, but like Logan Webb was doing the same thing where he was trying to throw a four seamer. Right. And, uh, and it wasn't really working because the four seamer wasn't that good. And he was being forced into a bucket, you know, like everybody else. And, I think he was he's just a traditional sinker guy. So this year they said, no, be yourself. Be a be a sinker guy. And when they did that, he really took off. So that's what I would do with Ryan Weathers. I would I would embrace that he's a sinker guy and I would do some seam shifted wake work with him where I would kind of go through the grips and find the one grip that that correlated that went well with his arm slot and and created more dip and dive on that sinker and I and I and I'd be working on that. Because if he came back as a sinker changeup guy with you know uh, an occasional uh, uh, slider that isn't you know isn't amazing but uh, looks very different than the rest of his arsenal, I think he could be successful. All right, so you tweak the fastball, scale back the slider, throw more changeups. It, it, it takes some retooling, but not impossible. I think Simon's playing in an NL only league, so he's looking pretty deep. So I would say Weathers as a cheap, cheap keeper could be worth holding, but he had a few other options. He has Kyle Muller, Edward Cabrera, and Ranger Suarez. Cabrera, I mean, 
I know the the early results have been pretty typically like a mixed bag, but at the same time, like he could be really good, easily the best ceiling of all these pitchers. And I'm not going to look at him after three big league starts and say, oh, he's walking too many guys. He's got a home run problem. He's not missing bats. Like, come on. He missed a whole bunch of time this season because of injuries. So I'm, I'm wondering how much stock are you, are you willing to put in to what you've seen in the underlying numbers so far with Cabrera, given the amount of rust that he was knocking off from the long layoff in the first half. You want more pitches, but uh, Stuff Plus does like the slider curveball and four seam for Edward Cabrera. So, um, you know, that's something I would hold on to. I would say that uh, uh, despite his really small walk numbers in the minor leagues, Edward Cabrera did not. What's his uh, scouting grade on his on his uh, command? It's like 45, 40, 45. Yeah, 45, 45. 50. So it's it's that's a little bit surprising for a guy who had like zero walk rates in the minor leagues, like had some walk rates that started with, with ones and twos. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, it's not too surprising then that uh, his location plus numbers, um, you know, aren't, aren't amazing either. So I would, uh, I would take Edward Cabrera out of the bunch. He has the best home uh, park situation. He has the best stuff plus, uh, and he has the best three pitch mix out of anybody. Um, and uh, I think even if the changeup isn't any good for Eduardo Cabrera, uh, which th- this suggests maybe might be the case, um, the uh, slider and curveball and four-seamer are, are enough to make it work. Is there anything good in Kyle Muller's profile? I feel like we talk about a lot of these Braves depth prospects a lot and don't come up with a lot to be excited about. As I have it loading, the way I remember Kyle Muller is not good command. Um, and uh, a decent slider but uh, possibly uh, the kind of command that might that might make it hard to to be successful as a starting pitcher. And then there was uh, Ranger Suarez was part of that question as well. He's shifting back into the rotation for now. He kind of seems like a guy that's going to get stuck in between and fall into that permanent swingman role. Like if you said choose one of Suarez or Bailey Falter, who do you think is more likely to be a useful deep league starter? In 2022, I'd actually take Falter, even though Suarez is getting that chance right now. Yeah, you know, very uh, lackluster strikeout rates in the minor leagues for Suarez. Um, and if he returns to that as a starting pitcher, um, then I, I, I kind of, I think he might be just a little bit boring. But a nice K rate as a, a swingman this year. A lot of relief appearances. 25% K rate for Suarez here in 2021. Um, it's true. Uh, but some of that was, that was what you're saying, as a reliever, right? Yeah, a lot of that has come as a reliever. Yeah, let me, I'm, I'm pulling up his, his numbers because I would assume um, that he does not have a standout thing. What Bailey Falter has, it's not good stuff at all. But he has standout command, so he's a little bit like a uh, low-rent Bailey Ober. Um, Ranger Suarez is showing up here as having a good changeup and slider by stuff, um, having above-average location, and being basically an average pitcher. I will point out, though, that his last five appearances, he's had basically a 90 stuff, um, and those are his appearances as a starter. Yeah. So that gives you a better idea of how things are going there. I think if you're in a situation looking at that group of pitchers. What was the, what was the group? That was Weathers? Cabrera, Weathers, Suarez, and Muller. I think I'd go Cabrera one by a, a good margin. Good margin. Weathers probably second. And then 
I think I'm Muller over Suarez, mostly because of the park. I, I, I don't, I don't, I do not like trying to take shots in Philadelphia on pitchers that I'm just not sure about. You know, not until that pitching program has has, has proven something. Uh, Kyle Muller has a 112 stuff plus on the slider. And then he's 95 on the curveball and 85 on the four seam. He just has really poor location numbers. Uh, you know, uh, average on the slider, but 86 on the curveball and 90 on the fastball, which is, that's tough. I mean, if you have a poor fastball command, it's going to be pretty rough on you. But, um, you know, uh, it's uh, at least he has a good breaking ball, you know. Uh, I might put Muller ahead of Weathers. Um, there's some aspects of the Atlanta pitching program that um, I think are in good shape. And we still have some questions about San Diego in that regard. So, right. I can see sometimes, where that comes I mean, from. Sometimes you are kind of trying to read the tea leaves of like, you know, how, how do these teams, what, what kind of things do these teams do with their pitchers and how do they, how do they approach this? And, Kyle Muller, also what you can see in Atlanta is that he might have multiple bites at the apple. I mean, look at how Tuki Saint is back in the in the in the rotation after being in the bullpen. So they're going to kind of play around with pieces and have the you know Sean Newcomb got a couple of tries at it. He's probably a reliever now, but he got a couple of tries at it. So I would say Kyle Muller gets a couple of tries at it, and I like him better than I ever liked Bryce Wilson. Um, I like him better than uh, Kyle. Wasn't there another Kyle? Who was that? Who was the other? Who was the guy I'm thinking of? Kyle Wright. Yeah, I like. I think I like him better than Kyle Wright, but he reminds me of Kyle Wright. But I think if you had two or three Kyle Wrights, one of them becomes a, a good major league pitcher. So this is this is a little bit like a, a kind of a second coming of Kyle Wright, just kind of looking at the stuff and how the the arsenal fits together. Good breaking balls, poor command. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
had another uh, couple of questions come in about Aaron Ashby, 2022 expectations for him. What are we seeing in terms of the underlying numbers with Ashby so far? Yeah, it's, that was, was interesting because it, got, it gets brought up a lot in the context of the Brewers uh, pitching development program, which uh, 100% uh, I have total admiration for. I did you know a Stuff Plus thing where I looked at uh, Stuff Plus by team and the Brewers uh, really stood out. However, Aaron Ashby does not stand out for me. Um, the changeup has good stuff plus. The slider has good location plus. So you could make that work. But here's the numbers on the sinker. 77 stuff plus, 92 location plus. Hmm. So that's why he's already kind of almost 50-50 slider versus sinker. I mean, he's also throwing the changeup. But he's equaling the amount of sinkers with the slider because he can command the slider better. Uh, we're we're already at near 300 pitches for Ashby, so we're getting a decent sample. I think he will be a guy that might pop in small samples when like his strategy is working, but it's not the kind of thing I want to bet on somebody who has a 77 stuff plus on their sinker. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's it's weird because the scouting grades in those pitches are good. I mean the fastball, slider, and curveball got a 55 from Fangraphs. Changeup got a 45. It's the command that they were worried about. The the TLDR on Fangraphs mentions his command. So uh, here's another thing that would be interesting. What, if his primary pitch is a sinker, uh, why did he have such boring uh, ground ball rates in 2019? He did take off with that this year. Small small sample compared to like the 130 innings of 48, 49% ground ball rate. That's not useful. Maybe he was working on the four seam those those years and they said ah screw it back to the, the sinker right yeah sinker's good keep throwing the sinker and, and he did take a big step forward this year in terms of strikeout rate but you can see in the walk rates already that the command is shaky so i see shaky command iffy sinker good change up can locate the slider he could have uh, some sort of uh a career as a as sort of the slider you know as his kind of primary pitch i'm a little surprised by the projections um, yeah, projections honestly. are probably as good as anybody we've talked about so far. But I think that's uh, uh, some artifact of them not projecting him as a starter or something. Because if you look at it, the bat projects him for six more games and 12 innings. So I think they're projecting him as a reliever. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, at Ashby versus Ryan Weathers probably seems like a, a good starting point, and I... I would err on the side of Ashby. I think there's more ways for it to work for him. Lefties with sinkers... Good, and the Brewers have maybe a better pitching development program. I mean, yeah, I think I would go Ashby over Weathers, but if we're returning to the list, Edward Cabrera is still an easy number one for me. And then uh, Muller, I have to fit Muller in somewhere around there. Um, might go Ashby or Muller, Ashby, Weathers. Fringy for the top 100 if we think he's got a rotation spot. None of these guys is really popping for me as somebody that like I'm going to put my hands around and and uh, and promote as like you know my sleeper next year. I'm still sort of waiting for that um, in this group. I think Edward Cabrera is the closest. Maybe I got one here from the next question we got at Baseball Pods. Our friend Chris wanted to know if you had to draft a 2022 redraft league today, how would you rank Carlos Hernandez, Luis Heel? Nestor Cortez and Josiah Gray get a little more upside pushed in there to use the 
the bad U word. I should throw a couple bucks into the swear jar if I can find it. Where's my swear jar? <laughs> so uh, Gray has been getting hit a bit recently. Cortez has been great kind of in the surprise starter role for the Yankees. Heel, I was looking this up because someone asked on Twitter about using him against the Blue Jays on Wednesday. Their situation Fantastic was numbers. really good numbers based on the stuff plus and location plus model. I still didn't want anything to do with the Jays given that this particular question was about ERA and whip for that matchup. The Jays are a lineup you don't throw. I don't want to call Luis Heel a fringy starter based on the stuff, but just fringy based on track record. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's still too much risk there to to go ahead and, and throw him out there in that matchup. But I think of all the names we've talked about so far, you said who's most likely to maybe push Edward Cabrera and be the highest ceiling pitcher of the entire group? Luis Heel might be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me uh, a little bit of, um, I mean, on the, on the, on the wrong side, maybe a young Michael Pineda, uh, really good uh, command of the fastball slider. If he change up. Um, but uh, I think he also could uh, develop that change up a little bit. Um, and I, and I'm, and I'm fascinated by this combination of just a wipeout four seam and slider combination with command of those two. And I think that will go further than you might expect two pitches to go in Yankee stadium. Who were the other name? And then Carlos Hernandez, actually, I think Carlos Hernandez, Luis Heel, and Edward Cabrera are my favorite three uh, names we've talked about today. Those are guys that I will have possibly higher than other rankers going into next season. Yeah, I think Cortez and Gray can probably go into the, the Ashby, Weathers, Muller cluster. Which like Gray is this again? Josiah. Yeah, man. The model doesn't like him. Let me see if it's changed recently. It's an interesting one. There's there There might be a possibility that we're missing something on his fastball. Um, but when he first came up, I remember the model was just not uh, not there for Josiah Gray. Waiting on it to lead. What was the other names? It was Hernandez, Heel, Cortez, and Gray. Oh, okay. Nestor Cortez? Yep. Uh, I love him. I, I don't have the, the stuff in front, in front of me. There's some, just something about how quickly he went to every old pitcher trick in the book. <laughs> it just makes me think that I know what I'm going to see when I put, open his page. You know what I mean? I feel like when I'm watching him pitch, I'm watching somebody uh, that just is trying every damn thing he can try. <laughs> I mean, he's got like three different arm slots. He he does this like shimmy thing. He does uh, he does quick pitches all the time. He uh, I swear he's gonna throw an aphis any day now. I, I I can't imagine. I'm loading his his stuff plus page right now, but I can't imagine uh, that it's gonna tell me a nice story. <laughs> no, wise beyond his years. It seems yes, like some of the things he's doing. The mound presence. Old early. <laughs> the 35 year old, 26 year old. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm fascinated now. Uh, it does like his changeup. Um, yeah, but 87 stuff plus. This is a guy who's uh, just barely hanging on. I, I, I'm not, not that into it. But let me get Josiah Gray up because that's fascinating to me that here's a guy who does have uh, – w- would you say that he he has the scouting pedigree and uh, the minor league numbers to suggest that everything's in place for him to succeed? 
Yes, and I think the only thing that would be even a, a yellow flag with him is that the Dodgers were trading him, but they traded him to get Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. You have to trade good players to get good players. So that shouldn't just be the red stamp of, well, he's never going to be good. Give up on him. The Dodgers traded him. Like, I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, I think the breaking balls are okay, uh, but 93 stuff plus in 735 pitches on top of the fact that uh, he's now demonstrating some proclivity to the uh, the home run. I think he's kind of just like a modern pitcher that lives at the top of the zone, gets a lot of whiffs for it, and gives up a lot of homers for it. I don't think that his stuff necessarily um, stands out as as going to be effective in there in, in that situation. Like his four seam fastball is a ninety three stuff plus. And a 95 location plus. Right. So maybe the the mindset, the approach is good, but the stuff doesn't lend itself to making a lot of mistakes. And he's in a park that gives up homers, um, you know, with the best of them. And then on top of that, uh, there might be a DH next year. So he wouldn't be any different than, um, you know, somebody who pitches in a, in a uh, band box in the AL right now. I could see Gray having more rotation job security than a lot of the other guys we're talking about, especially the guys on contending teams, though. So that might push him a little higher in the rankings, even though there are some uh, some causes for concern. Uh, we had a few questions coming about Drew Rasmussen, who we were surprised to see in the Rays rotation recently. Uh, what do the underlying numbers tell us about what Rasmussen has been doing more recently in that expanded role? That's so mad. I was talking to somebody in the race organization and I was like you guys got Rasmussen to start didn't you didn't you didn't you did you get like an upside down smiley emoji back like what no they were like no we got we think they're both good relievers I'm like you you I'm shaking my fist at you um how long has Rasmussen been starting I think it's probably about five now um in those five starts, three have uh, three of them have remained above a 110 stuff plus, and two have been more like 102, 103. Right, and that's getting him out fairly early. He did face 20 batters in two of those five starts, but 15 or less in the other three. So he might be landing right in that Ronaldo Lopez. Can't push him quite as hard, but we can use him and get a lot of outs with him. Yeah, and what do you do about that in fantasy? It's going to be more of a thing. We're going to have more of these guys, and they're going to be good, and I bet you they're going to be better than people think because they won't give you wins. Remember, like we've had fantasy players to tell us there are elite relievers that don't get saves that are that are good to roster, and we ignore them all the time because we're, we're going after saves, you know? Uh, and we'd rather have that clunky, you know, 10-save uh, uh, terrible reliever on our team than, uh, than somebody like uh, Josh Hader 1.0, you know, that was out there putting up zeros but no saves. I feel like we're going to have that same thing happen with these four-inning guys where you'll have old baseball heads saying, Uh, that's a terror. Like we don't have enough place on the roster. It's going to screw up your bullpen. You can't do like, that's going to be, you know, in in terms of real life baseball, they're going to be like, ah, the four, the four, the four pitch, the four inning uh, starter is, is just the end of baseball. It's the death of baseball. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to baseball. 
Then you'll have other teams that totally embrace it and have like two or three, four inning starters. And uh, like the Giants have just like, you know, and the Dodgers just have like a really active train between their triple a team and their major league team with the, with the relievers to keep their bullpen fresh um and then uh in fantasy i don't know what the equivalent is i think in a 15 team league it absolutely makes sense to have to take a shot at a couple of these guys especially if they start behind an opener then they might get the win and know that's a lot of times if they start the game and go four, they won't get the win. It's a dumb thing in score. Can we just fix the win rule? Wouldn't that solve so many of our problems? I think like, should we just fix that anyway? Just for the a lot. I'm a big advocate of of trying to uh, just talk to scorers and like think of a different way to award the win. I think that sometimes they get too they get too caught up in like the actual advice of how to score for a win. Um, that they they should we should almost empower them. We should say, hey, scorer, take a step back, look at the box score, and don't worry about WPA or this or that. Look at the box score and say which one of these pitchers contributed the most, because WPA can be flawed. It can have it can wait certain innings too much. If a guy throws four innings and gives up no runs, and his team wins three to one or three to two or something. Give it to the guy who pitched four innings. Don't give it to the guy who was happened to be pitching on the mound when they scored that third run. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm just, you know what? You know what's funny <laughs> is like it's the weirdest things that get me all upset. <laughs> I think it's funny like when I'm calm and you're riled up about stuff because. <laughs> It seems like it's the total opposite. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, whatever. I went to the beach on Monday. Do whatever you want with your wins. <laughs> it was beautiful. It's fun. Beautiful day at the beach. Yes, but score. Score better. And then and, and Rasmussen <laughs> and Heal are going to be guys that I have higher than other people, I'm, I'm guessing. Because they're just, they're good. And sometimes they'll luck their way into a fifth inning and get those wins. And uh, it'll be those days when they're super efficient. And they don't have them thrown a bunch of innings. a bunch of pitches, right? And they just, they let them have that fifth inning. Because they they're still below eighty pitches or whatever. They're, those those games exist, and in the meantime, he won't trash your uh, your your stats. I got another name to throw at you. We don't have stuff plus numbers on him because he's still in the minors. Uh, we were asked about Cody Morris. He's a pitching prospect in the Cleveland organization. Scouting grades there are pretty good. Three pitches, fifty or better, fifty five fastball, command a tick below average, but having a great year between Double A and Triple A. Hasn't thrown a lot time. of innings. You talk, yeah, you talk about a, a prospect of the week candidate. This is a guy that's been kind of creeping into the conversation. I think Kim went under the radar a few weeks ago. This is a this is a Nando prospect special, like right here. Like this is this is a guy that I think is legitimately good, who has flown under the radar. And I think he, based on the level he was at, his age, the lost season, is exactly the type of player that kind of popped up and really surprised a lot of people this year. Let me count this up. He's got. 40, 84, 129, 130 innings in the minor leagues uh, in his career. 130, keep that number in your head. And then strikeouts, he's got like 175. Woo! That works. Yikes! Love you. Oh, man, I love when I see a line like this. Uh, Like a bit of a fly ball pitcher. Uh, Suggests he's a a four-seam guy. Uh, I love this. Uh, one of the things is that I like too is that even though he has a 40-45 command, I think that the Indians are really, really good at game planning. So they'll be able to, uh, 
you know, take his strengths and take his weaknesses and, and, and sort of uh, find a way around him, I think. Yeah, a little surprising given all the the need they've had at the top level for innings this year that he hasn't had an opportunity yet. Maybe it'll still happen in the next couple of weeks. I mean, clearly, workload-wise, really no reason why he can't keep throwing. Maybe a guy that ends up in the fall league this year, actually, just to keep getting some work in just based on the way his season has taken shape. But definitely not a name that you see on top prospect lists. Here's why he's not uh, he's not up yet. He's not on the 40-man. I think that's it. So right now the 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 Guardians have forty four people on the forty man because of the sixty day IL. Yeah, so he'll be added this winter because the deadline's probably coming up soon for him. Um, yeah, and the actually the Indians are screwed. <laughs> Look at this. This is pretty interesting. Longenhagen has a has a breakdown of the forty man crunch. This actually this season this is actually a, an interesting bloodbath that's coming because we made the minor league smaller. Um, and then we didn't have a minor league season. And so now there's like this sort of backlog of players that need to be cut. Um, and so, you know, here's a 40 man crunch situation for the guardians. They need to add Tyler Freeman and Brian Rocchio. Uh, I think they need to add those guys. We've, we've talked about them on this, on this podcast, Joey Cantillo, um, I think is, a, has enough upside that they're going to add him. Cody Morris is next. George Valera is on that list. So that's already five people they need to add. Uh, they only have two pending free agents um, in Brian Shaw and Eddie Rosario. Rosario's um, already gone. Rosario's gone, and then Cesar Hernandez is gone. So they have three spots for those five guys. Uh, that means somebody like Daniel Johnson, uh, Bradley Zimmer, Harold Ramirez uh, is going to lose their job, or Yu Chang. Uh, those are the guys that are on the fringe. Could be some uh, more activity than usual as a result of these circumstances. Yes. When you get to November, there could be some trades that uh, come before all the non-tenders come in December. I think so. I think there could be some interesting things happening as a result of these crunches that people are going to see. Nice. Excited about that. Uh, we got to just about every name we were asked about. I think Justin Steele and Paolo Espino were two more that trickled in. Steele, I think, is more interesting to me than Espino. Espino is... Uh, very old for someone who hasn't pitched a lot in the big leagues, not old compared to just like the general population of humans. Uh, projections for him are scary. 546 ERA, 140 whip. Like I, I really want nothing to do with Paulo Espino. Steel, eh, I, I, I just see kind of a, a bulk guy there. I mean, for NL only leagues and the reserves next year, maybe, maybe he'll be on my radar. I've been streaming him some. Um, the stuff plus is 98 and the location plus is 98. Uh, it actually adds up to a 99 pitching plus somehow. Um, but basically an average guy, but average guy in Chicago, there is some, uh, opportunity for streaming with some of the, uh, national leagues, you know, worst matchups in times. So you have pirates, you know, uh, I have used him in some of these streaming options. The good news is that his four seam is above average by stuff and his slider is as well. Um, and because location plus isn't super sticky year to year, maybe he can improve the location on those, maybe ditch the sinker a little bit and focus on being a four seam slider curveball guy uh, with better command. There is a little bit of an opportunity for him to be better next year, but I think I put him uh, in that sort of Muller Weathers mix where something he has to do something to uh, jump out of that group. 
if they sit on their hands as much as I expect them to this offseason, there will probably be an opportunity for him. So that's why I fully expect uh, Cardi and I to be yeah. sitting there staring each other down during the labor reserve. only pitcher next year. <laughs> yeah, like second NL labor reserve pick. That's yeah. where I expect Justin Steele to land. I think he'll be on and off rosters in mixed leagues next year if he does, in fact, get that opportunity. Uh, let's save the Eno's dashboard dive for a, a later date. We've run pretty long because of the Hall of Fame talk and uh, you know, got pretty riled up about the wins and the official scoring. <laughs> yeah, blame it on me. No, uh, we we had a lot of good questions. So uh, these these are the kinds of players that, as you're making keeper decisions, or you're trying to stream, or you're thinking about the future, they can kind of fall in the cracks. They could be early draft season sleepers if you're into the early DCs. So uh, we've got a bunch of great stuff coming up on Friday. Between now and then, you should sign up for the Athletic because we're offering fifty percent off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That's the best deal that we do throughout the year. So be sure to sign up for a subscription if you don't already have one that gets you all the stuff that Eno writes, all of the stretch run coverage, the playoff coverage. Fantasy football season is absolutely here. Football season actually kicks can, off on Thursday night. You can subscribe off of the pod uh, page. Am I right? Right off the pod page. Yep. So I'll put the link in the show notes. If you're a show notes kind of person, we really appreciate that. Sometimes there's good stuff in the show notes. I, I've kind of backed off it because I feel like people don't use it, but maybe I'll start putting some little Easter eggs in once in a while <laughs> to see if anyone's actually paying attention to all the stuff that does go in there. But theathletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can always email us rates and barrels at theathletic.com. The quest for inbox zero seems futile right now, but I'm telling you, we're going to get there eventually. So keep the emails coming. We'll keep reading them, and hopefully we'll answer as many of those as we can here in the next few weeks. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.